Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear friends. Today we're going to take a look at the four blessings of fear as they are transcribed in Solomon's book of Proverbs, chapter 14. And in verse 26 we read, In the fear of Yahweh is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of Yahweh is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And so you understand, there are four blessings of fear that are outlined here. The four blessings of the fear of God, at least according to Proverbs chapter 14, is number one, a strong confidence, according to verse 26. We can be confident in Yahweh God, and more specifically, His Word. Because every word of Yahweh God is pure. And if our Heavenly Father has commanded it, we can bank our salvation upon it, knowing that every word will come to pass exactly as Yahweh has said. Number two is a place of refuge or security, according to that same verse 26. So do you take refuge in Yahweh God? Is He your security as to what we define as dogma or doctrine? Because I assure you, many men and women will come in and espouse things that are not even found within the Word of God. And that will be the focus of this ministry in 2016. More trying to break through many of the false traditions. And these same false traditions have infiltrated Christian identity. Number three is eternal life, according to verse 27 in Proverbs chapter 14. The fear of Yahweh is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So if you want to inherit eternal life, then the only way to do that is to keep what Solomon considers in his book of Ecclesiastes the whole duty of man. That is to fear Yahweh God and to keep His commandments. Now, Men will come in and they'll tell you, you know, this word fear means to love less. It doesn't really to denote fear. That is, trembling. Like it says in Scripture, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Quote, unquote. But ironically, when you do a word study on the Hebrew that is transliterated fear here in Proverbs chapter 14 and other places, you will notice that not only does it mean to reverence, but it also means to fear. Good old-fashioned fear. Do you fear Yahweh God, understanding that He holds the keys of life and death? 
I ask that because your average Judeo-Christian does not. He does not have the fear of Yahweh God as the frontlet of his eyes and as a result feels that he can sin and get by. But if that saint Judeo-Christian were to fear Yahweh God, he would not have any problems. The fear of Yahweh God is the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's numerous things in Scripture. In fact, I could do probably several sermons on the concept, the fear of Yahweh and what it means. But here in Proverbs chapter 14, we are told four things that it is. And the fourth is holiness of life and conduct, according to verse 27. So when we read Proverbs chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, you should understand that the fear of Yahweh is strong confidence. This word confidence, in my humble opinion, is extremely important because we have over seven examples of confident men who were chosen of Yahweh God. And you will see in your own studies that these same seven men who were all confident within Yahweh God were confident because they had a quote-unquote fear of Yahweh. The first is Abraham, and you know Father Abraham because you can read about him in Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. And also in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Indeed, Father Abraham is an example of faith. So much so that he makes it into the Faith Hall of Fame, as it is transcribed in Hebrews 11. And Abram had strong confidence in Yahweh God. The second would be David, and you can confirm this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. But David was also considered elsewhere in Scripture to be a man according to Yahweh's own heart. And that was because he feared God. If we fear man, that is the God that we serve. And ironically, the enemies of Israel know this. And so they come in and they give you a dirge barrage of things that you should be afraid of, from anthrax scares, to killer bees, to ISIS. Whatever the latest, greatest boogeyman is, it's not like the third list of seven examples of strong confidence, because they all had the fear of Yahweh God. And the third would be Hezekiah. You can read about him in Second Chronicles chapter 32. The fourth would be the three Hebrew children that you read about in Daniel. Indeed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And ironically, not too many people will preach on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the prayer that they made out of the fiery furnace during the Babylonian captivity, but I have. And if you require further study on that, look up my sermon simply titled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the three Hebrew children that you can read about in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. They feared Yahweh God. They did not fear Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar throws the three Hebrew children into a fiery furnace. But they weren't singed. They weren't harmed. Why? Because they had confidence in Yahweh God, a fear of their heavenly Father. Number five is Habakkuk. And I have preached the entire book of Habakkuk in its entirety. 
In fact, last month, October, I preached revisiting Habakkuk, proving who the Moabites and the Ammonites are. Because many people within Anglo-Israelism will come in and say, well, you know what? Moab and Ammon, even though they are tribes that were conceived in incest, well, they also wear the same uniform as you and I. Therefore, they are saved. And in that sermon, based on Habakkuk, titled, Who is Moab and Ammon? I address that and prove that they will return to Sodom and Gomorrah. Meaning, that the daughters of Lot, who caused him to become drunken and lie down with him to preserve seed to their father, according to the minor prophet Habakkuk, will return to their initial state. That no Moabite, no Ammonite will be saved. The six of seven examples of strong confidence because of their fear of Yahweh would be Peter. And Peter you can read about in the twelfth chapter of Acts, round about verse six. But it is Peter to whom Christ said, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It was also Peter who said, Baptism doth now save us, or repent and be baptized for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that baptism is important. Because false prophets will come in and they will say, well, baptism doesn't avail you anything. That you should be baptized with fire or pixie dust or whatever it may be. So, safe to say, in upcoming months, I will be doing a study based solely on the topic of baptism. What the etymology of the word means in the Greek and the Hebrew. And how it is not a pharisaical practice. Now, this should be common sense when we understand that when the Pharisees came to John at the River Jordan and wanted to partake of that baptism, John said, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. So, baptism, in short, is not pharisaical. It is not the practice of the Pharisees. It is the practice of the Christians. So, Peter, in Acts chapter 12 is another example of an apostle who had the fear of Yahweh God and as a result was able to speak out freely. Then, 2,000 years ago, just like now, we should say, baptism doth save us because the word of God says so. So while the false prophet comes in and says, don't be baptized, it is quite ironic. And so, I will be bringing a study on baptism and how it does save us. Finally, the seventh example, to the chagrin of my enemies, of seven examples of strong confidence, would be Paul. And this is confirmed in his own epistle, his second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Indeed, Paul was an example of a man who had confidence. But what makes Paul different is the fact that initially he had confidence within the traditions of men. He was a Pharisee, known as Saul. And when he was a Pharisee, he consented unto the death of many martyrs, Stephen being one such example. But it was Paul, on the road to Damascus, who was struck down, who was blinded, for lack of a better term, and had his sight restored to him by our beloved Redeemer, Yahshua. What does that represent? It represents that we also, many times, can be blind 
that we can do the wrong thing, that we can sin, as in the case of Saul, the Pharisee. But yet, Yahweh God can call us out of darkness and use us if we have the fear of Yahweh God. And if that fear leads us to have confidence within His promises. More specifically, His covenants, which is what a promise means. A covenant is binding. Just like the covenant of marriage, so it is with Yahweh God and His beloved people Israel. And while Yahweh God did put them away and divorce them, all of Israel will be restored. There are 144,000 who have not bowed knee to Baal, according to Paul and his own epistle to the Romans. And that also will be a study that will be coming forth. That is, the days of Daniel, the week of tribulation, and all the things that Daniel brought forth that Paul would reiterate within his book of Romans. So that we, in this latter era, will be able to understand and see the signs that Yahweh God is vengeful. He is jealous, more so now than ever before. Another reason to fear Him. Another reason to reverence Him. So my advice, dear kinsfolk, in the upcoming year of 2016 is, be sure to support the truth teller. In fact, in this month, December, if you're able to, during the busy holiday, be sure to tithe to ministers that I've worked with, or to my ministry even, because it's needed now more so than ever before. And so, within today's sermon, I have given you a background and what to look forward to in upcoming months, as to at least two sermons, one on baptism and one on on the seven days of Daniel's vision that ties perfectly into an end-time event and the man of sin who takes away the daily sacrifice. And so it is, we live in that era now where the daily sacrifice is being taken away and more specifically are civil liberties. Indeed, we live in dangerous times and I can say that because I've been preaching this message for about 15 years And ten years ago, I did not have the fear of man that I do now. But in that, what I want you to understand is that I fear Yahweh God more so than what man can do to me. Why? Because of His promise, because of His covenant. Because Yahweh God, in short, basically says, if you preach it, they will listen. And I will raise up pastors. I will raise up men and women who will support the truth teller. Of course, we can read about that in Amos chapter 4 in addition to other places. But don't be a God robber. Many men and women come to this truth and I understand that we are preaching to the poor. They have the fear of Yahweh God and that's all that's required. But if you truly fear the curses that Yahweh God will pour out upon the disobedient, then understand that is one. So do all you can to live up to the Word of God. Don't serve Yahweh God only in mouth and lip service, but rather be sure to serve Yahweh God in spirit and truth. Why? Because Yahweh God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Two specific keys. Spirit, truth. Now, That denotes that men and women can come to this truth 
and not have the Spirit or be devoid of the Holy Spirit. And that, of course, will lead them to attack other men and women. So my advice is, have the fear of Yahweh God and have confidence within His covenants and His promises. If Yahweh God says that He will not tolerate evil, then look around you at the world today and understand that all of this evil is earmarked for destruction. And we have yesterday's newspaper in the form of this codified word. So you can go back and read what will happen. Remember, Peter, one of the seven examples of confidence today, also says within his word of God that all the things that came before were to be examples. Now, we live in an era where we are distanced from the word of God, where men and women will say that has no pertinence to my life. It doesn't pertain whatsoever. Because that, after all, deals with the history of these people 2,000 years ago. But the Word of God, just like Yahweh God Himself, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will not change. You can bank your salvation upon it. And as a result, that is a form of confidence. So when I say, fear Yahweh God, or when Solomon, the author of Proverbs, says the same thing, that the fear of Yahweh leads to this, or leads to that. That does not mean walk around being fearful, like your father is unjustly evil, and will punish you without cause. But what that means is you reverence him, as any father desires their son or daughter to do. And so, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wishing you and your entire family great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith, and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. We left off with Jesus and Joseph and the young Yahshua Messiah going through a foreign land on their truck back into Judea. And there they met a woman who could not speak out. She was considered dumb by the text. And just at Mary showing pity to her, well, straightway the string of her tongue was loosed and she was able to speak out. 
And so needless to say, in my fourth sermon, I brought forth very eloquently the fact that many times those who do not speak out against the evil that has plagued our nation are possessed of demons. And not only that, we were able to prove how many people who make a living with their clothing off also are possessed by demons. Because if A equals B, then B also equals A, correct? Well, after the string of this particular once formally demon-possessed woman was loosed, Mary and Joseph were treated to the utmost respect because her parents were high-ranking officials within that city. Picking it back up in verse 9 of chapter 6 in Infancy 1. In this place they abode three days, meeting with the greatest respect and most splendid entertainment. And being then furnished by the people with provisions for the road, they departed and went into another city, in which they were inclined to lodge, because it was a famous place. Now notice that the author of Infancy 1 does not tell you the names of these particular cities because they really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But the narrative themselves is nothing new under the sun. In fact, dealing with demonic possession is something that you deal with, even if it's not even acknowledged, on a daily basis. Because being possessed either by the Holy Spirit or the spirit of error is more than taught within the canonized scripture. But also notice that the parents of this once-possessed woman were so grateful that they took Mary, Joseph, and Jesus Christ within their home, gave them room and board, and then furnished them, and by other Israelites, enough provision so they could continue in their journey. What this shows, of course, is the tribal respect of the Israelites. Do we do this today? Well, not unless we're Christian. And I say that because... Only Christians are instructed by Yahshua Messiah to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. Almost everybody else who serves their own flesh or this world, they're seemingly only concerned with taking care of their self. But not in the case of Mary and Joseph. There were many faithful who provided them and furnished them many provisions so they could continue in their journey. Why? They believed that Yahshua Messiah would be the Redeemer. Those that were familiar with the Old Testament narrative, unlike Herod's Baal priests, knew that Jesus Christ was the Redeemer of Israel. For example, the midwife. For example, even the Baal priest himself who said, perhaps this is the Son of the living God. They were able to understand. But meanwhile, the rest of it's foolishness to those who do not believe. Verse 11. There was, in this city, a gentlewoman, who, as she went down one day to the river to bathe, behold, cursed Satan leaped upon her in the form of a serpent. Stopping right there. Now I want to point out that in Genesis chapter 3, Satan is considered to be a serpent. And this is where many people miss the mark, because they think, well, how is it that Eve could be seduced or beguiled By a literal, de facto, serpent. But the word itself, at least in the Hebrew, means a whispering magic enchanter. And it is just another title of Satan. Just like this title here. Behold, 
cursed Satan. Is Satan cursed? Indeed he is. In fact, he is known elsewhere in our canonized scripture to be that man of sin, the son of perdition. What does perdition mean? It means that Satan is cursed and sentenced to perish. Continuing on. And folded himself about her belly, and every night lay upon her. This woman, seeing the Lady St. Mary and the Lord Christ, the infant in her bosom, asked the Lady St. Mary that she would give her the child to kiss and carry within her arms. So much like the woman at the beginning of chapter 6, when she picked up Jesus Christ, she kissed him. She continually moved him and pressed him to her body. Now, was it the act that they believed that Christ had miraculous powers? Or was it their faith, as Yahshua himself would teach, that made them whole? Well, naturally, it was their faith that led them to this action, because faith without works is dead, correct? So our having faith leads us to make the decisions that we do. And this woman, when she saw Miriam and the Lord Christ, as she was holding him, asked that she would give the child to kiss and carry within her arms temporarily. Verse 14. When she had consented, and as soon as the woman had moved the child, Satan left her and fled away. Nor did the woman ever afterwards see him. Now, does that align with Scripture? It actually doesn't. Because we're told within the canonized script that when a devil is cast out of a particular person, it wanders upon the face of the earth and oftentimes can come back to that same person ten times worse, bringing more demons with it. But we, for the sake of this morning's argument, will not discredit this statement, but will take it at face value. So for this particular woman, the demons were cast out. Here, the spirit of Satan. And did not return back to hinder her further. Interesting of note is there will be a dirge barrage of opinions as to what Satan is. And ironically, the only opinion as to what Satan is as a deity is found within the authorized Bible. Now there will be men and women who write their own faulty translations and come in and tell you Satan's just your flesh. Maybe Satan's their flesh. But Satan's not your flesh. You are born of God, dear kinsfolk. Not born of fornication. The man who's telling you his flesh is satanic is telling you he was born of Satan, just as John confirmed. So if Cain was born of that wicked one, literally, de facto, denoting origin, ex in the Greek after all, then when the false prophet comes and tells you, I'm Satan, Satan's my flesh, my advice is listen to him. Satan's real. And the King James Version even determines that. But yet there will be many people protecting their father, the devil, correct? And there's no greater way of protecting the devil or his spirit that possesses other people, and we've proven that as well, than saying that he does not exist. Now, ironically, these same bastards who come in and want to convince you that you're evil, that you're born of the devil, and that the serpent doesn't exist have no problem saying Christ is real. <laughs> Ironic, is it not? Because the Bible says both are real. But when Mary consented, and when the woman moved the child upon her, just as the woman at the beginning of chapter 6 did, Satan left. 
fled away, and no man afterwards did see him. She never once again was hindered by Satan. Now, the terminology here, fled away, does not denote wings, albeit angels most assuredly have wings. How it is that idiots can come into CI and say that angels have no wings when the very two angels placed over the Ark of the Covenant holding the law of Yahweh God had what? Two wings outstretched on either side. How they can come in and say angels do not have wings when the entire theme of Solomon's temple, from the wallpaper to the carpet to the ceiling, had angels with wings is beyond me. But it will not stop those false prophets from infiltrating the genuine, unpolluted faith. While it is that I love Yahweh God, I have yet to understand his sons and daughters. And while out of one mouth they will espouse their adherence to the law, but yet out of the other, not follow what they are directly commanded. And so, we all reap as we sow. Verse 15. Hereupon all the neighbors praised the supreme God, and the woman rewarded them with ample beneficence. On the morrow the same woman brought perfumed water to wash the Lord Jesus. And when she had washed him, she preserved the water. Now I'm going to point out here that there are numerous accounts within the Gnostic text that all deal with this same exact bath water. And what you're seeing is, for lack of a better term, a superstitious rendering of people who believe that Jesus Christ and his bath water or his diaper or just his garment could make them whole. But Christ taught totally different. In fact, he would say it was not the article itself. It was not the person de facto that did the healing, but that our faith once again made us whole. Why do I keep stressing that? Because it's extremely imperative to understand in this year, 2015. Because any person, whether they're listening to the radio or watching television, will be lamblasted and bombarded with tons of pharmaceutical drug commercials trying to convince you that this pill will make you healthy and this pill will save you from the side effects of that pill. And what do you need to know? Very simply put, faith. Faith will deliver you from the false prophet. Faith will deliver you from a world that is turning progressively darker as the moments go by. The Lady St. Mary had little to do with the healing events that we're dealing with in these chapters. Christ himself, being an infant, had little to do with it. But the author wants you to understand that Christ was so perfect, so guileless, and being God manifested in the flesh had the ability to heal, unlike any natural means known to man. Hereupon, all the neighbors praised the supreme God. Who is that? That's Yahweh. And the terminology supreme denotes that he created all other gods and is ruler of those gods. Is he not? Perhaps that's why the first commandment is, Have no other gods before me, spoken to the Israelites of old. And so as a result, the next day the same woman brought perfumed water to wash our Redeemer, our kinsman Victor. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. 
If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256 Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Next verse. And there was a girl there whose body was white with a leprosy, who, being sprinkled with this water and washed, was instantly cleansed from her leprosy. So that is the significance of the bath water of the infant Jesus Christ. That it had the ability, at least according to the author of this Syriac infancy gospel, to heal leprosy. Now, do you believe it? I do, personally, because faith would heal leprosy, would it not? And leprosy in this latter era is something that has most assuredly been dealt with by Western nations, to the chagrin of our enemies, naturally. Of course, man could come in and say, hey, looky there, we invented a polio shot. We have leprosy and diabetes even under control. Isn't man great? We don't need God. Perhaps that's why they do it. Perhaps that's why you're bombarded with so many commercials trying to prove that government or the pharmaceutical industry can deliver you. It's because in Scripture there were people who spent every dime they had on physicians and physicians couldn't do anything for them. But yet their acknowledgement of Christ as Redeemer, that outward act of faith, made them whole, did it not? And it truly is that simple. Continuing on. Verse 18, the people therefore said without doubt, Joseph and Mary and that boy are gods, for they do not look like mortals. Now here's a place of contention within the Psalms. I bring it up because one place within scripture we are commanded, ye are gods, denoting property, meaning we belong to God. And leave it to the false prophet to come in, just like Satan of old, and say, You're a god yourself. Isn't that exactly what the serpent said to Eve? For in the moment you partake of this tree, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be like gods, knowing right, wrong, good, and evil. But man can't be a god, can they? We are not god, we are god's property. And that is exactly what's being brought forth here. Understand the language. They say, what? Truly, Joseph and Mary and that boy are gods, meaning they belong to God. Not gods themselves, because that would be a violation of the first commandment. And Yahshua, being Yahweh in the flesh, could not violate it. So beware of the false prophet who tells you Satan's through flesh, that the Jews are God's chosen people, that the non-whites are angels, and this as well. 
that you have the power to discern right from evil. You do not outside of Yahweh and his word. Continuing on. And when they were making ready to go away, the girl who had been troubled with the leprosy came and desired they would permit her to go along with them. So they consented. And the girl went with them till they came to a city in which was the palace of a great king and whose house was not far from the inn. Now, I want to point out a similarity here to, once again, the maniac of Gadara. And I want to digress here momentarily so you'll understand. Jesus Christ, when he went over to the land of the Gadarenes, found there a maniac possessed with a legion. And he cast the legion out into a swineherd, and that swineherd choked within the ocean. And that same maniac of Gadara, due to the fact that his own kinspeople did not care about him, suffered Christ to come with them. He wanted to go with Yahshua and the disciples. He was converted, that former maniac. But Christ forbid him. Christ said, do not come with us. Why? Well, we are told much later in the gospel narratives the reason for that. Christ forbid him so he would stay within that land of the Gadarenes and express the great miracle that he had just seen. And in him seeing that, he became a witness, a powerful witness, the former maniac of Gadara, so that much later in the book of Acts and even in our Gospels, when the disciples returned to the land of the Gadarenes, the fame of Yahshua, Messiah, had spread abroad. In short, what I want you to understand is Christ knew he wasn't wanted at that time. But in his leaving and leaving that former Gadarene there to testify, he knew that some would be converted for his next round through the land of the Gadarenes. Now here's a woman, and much after the manner of the three demon-possessed vessels before her, she wants to go with them. She comes to Mary and Joseph and says, let me go with you and the young infantile Jesus Christ. And what did they do? They consented, according to verse 19. Verse 20. Here they stayed, and when the girl went one day to the prince's wife, and found her in a sorrowful and mournful condition, she asked her the reason of her tears. She replied, Wonder not at my groans, for I am under a great misfortune, of which I dare not tell anyone. Now there will be men and women out there who always play the victim. And a majority of that belief stems from the media, which is Judaized, or it stems from the pulpit which is also Judaized. But our enemy, dear fellow Israelite, loves playing the victim. In fact, when you crush them theologically, they will recoil around, claim the victory, and continue on as if nothing had ever happened. This woman kept it to herself, for the most part, because she was in a mournful condition. She was found very sorrowful. Beware of those who come in and say, Oh, woe is me, everybody's attacking me. This pastor, that pastor. A genuine pastor is never going to mention another pastor by name. Understand that. They may address the behaviors and work it within their own theses, but they'll never come out and say a name. That also is forbidden by Scripture. And the very reason you've never heard me drop names. And I want you to understand there will be many coming out. And they're going to be attacking me and the men that I have worked with in the past to try to prove their own premise. 
because they can't keep their sorrowful or their mournful conditions to themselves, as I have over the last 20 years, which I might add is a prerequisite of being a pastor. Faith comes by hearing. A pastor's job is to upbraid faith, not take it away, not hinder it, nor quench the spirit. Next verse. She replied, Wonder not at my groans, for I am under a great misfortune, of which I dare not tell anyone. But, says the girl, if you will entrust me with your private grievance, perhaps I may find for you a remedy for it. Thou, therefore, says the prince's wife, shalt keep the secret and not discover it to any one alive. Interesting, is it not? Because that aligns with Proverbs, where we are told that a true brother will cover up the sins of his neighbor. This is what Christ did for us. But a talebearer reveals many secrets. A snitch is not Christian, and a Christian cannot be a snitch. As I have taught countless times, if A equates to B, then B also equates to A. A man going out and making known his oppression, oh, I so oppressed, leave A my own personal holocaust. Well, I leave that to you. But in verse 23, this woman says, Thou therefore keep the secret. Do not discover it to anyone alive. And so, as it stands within our canonized Bible, let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. If you make a promise, do your best to honor that promise. Because the covenant you made was not between you and the particular individual, but between you and your heavenly Father. And if you wrong that Son of God, you have to face your Father, Yahweh. Not that particular man that you did wrong. So, do not discover secrets. Do not be a talebearer. Do not engage in slander and gossip. It's up to you to use your God-given discernment to know the difference between those who reveal secrets and those who do not. Verse 24. She says, I have been married to this prince who rules as king over large dominions and lived long with him before he had any child by me. At length I conceived by him, but alas, I brought forth a leprous son, which, when he saw, he would not own to be his, but said to me, Either do thou kill him, or send him to some nurse in such a place that he may never be heard of. And now, take care of yourself. I will never see you anymore. Very interesting how there is no new thing under the sun, because oftentimes as young women do get pregnant outside of wedlock, which is a sin, don't get me wrong, when they go to their particular mate, he will say either get it aborted or give it up for adoption. Same exact thing we're seeing here by this prince. The same sentiment. Now this was this prince's wife, one of many, and she was not able to bear a child. But finally, in course of time, she was able to do so. And the child came out not quite so perfect, not fit for a prince, at least according to the prince. And what does he say? He says to the woman, kill him or send him to a place where he can technically be adopted. And I don't have to deal with it anymore. Is that the love of Christ manifested? Absolutely not. But how is it any different than the fact that a majority of men rulers, according to the Bible, with a few exceptions, like David and Solomon, were all evil? Do you think that has changed in this latter era? Well, I assure you, it hasn't. And this sentiment still goes on today. 
It's not a Christian sentiment. Christ came to set free the captives, to make whole those who were sick, not to rebuke them, separate himself off, and attack everybody else that disagreed with him. But he says, kill them or send them to a wet nurse. Verse 27, the woman continues. So, here I pine, lamenting my wretched and miserable circumstances. Alas, my son, alas, my husband, I have disclosed it to you, question. The girl replied, I have found a remedy for your disease, which I promise you, for I also was leprous, but God has cleansed me, even he who is called Jesus, the son of the Lady Mary. Now this woman once was a leper, and she was cleansed of her leprosy by the bath water of the infantile Yahshua. And she's about to let this woman, whose child was a leper, in on a very valuable secret. That is, the Redeemer. He who could make her whole. The woman inquiring where that God was, whom she spake of, the girl answered, He lodges with you here in the same house. Verse 30. But how can this be, says she? Where is he? Behold, replied the girl, Joseph and Mary, and the infant who is with them is called Jesus. And it is he who delivered me from my disease and my torment. And so, this is Pastor Visser from the heart of the dirty south being Brooks, Georgia. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.